0: Take your Bibles and turn to Mark 14 and verse 43. Mark 14, 43. Hear now God's word. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant and the high priest and, excuse me, the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled, and let all and all they excuse me and they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we bow our hearts in, in your presence, wanting once again to be still and know that you are God. We come in the realization that by faith we have been brought into union and communion with Christ. And this same Lord Jesus Christ, who wrestled who in the garden, who was arrested and tried uh, in a mockery of a trial, who gave his life, did so for us. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would once again give us a measure of solemnity as we tread on holy ground. Oh Lord, we are unworthy of the least of your mercies. And yet you give us mercy and more. Lord, hide your word within our hearts. That we may not sin against you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you look at our uh, text this morning, it says, And immediately. So this The text that we're looking at today actually ties in with what we looked at last week. And if you're like me, you've slept since the last sermon. So you may need to be sort of refreshed a little bit. Uh, Like I said, our text today picks up immediately where it left left off, where Jesus was in agony. And and I, I like the way that one commentator put it. They said, you know, Jesus is about to suffer great agony physically. You know, as he is going to be beaten and a thorn of crowns placed upon his head and whipped and then crucified. But before all of that, he first of all went through agony of the soul. He went through agony of the soul. So in his whole person, he suffered for us. Now, the reason he suffered and had great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane was... um, he was facing the wrath of God for the sins of his people. And so he cast himself to the ground in passionate, night-long prayer. Uh, and in that, he was, he was strengthened. He was empowered uh, to go uh, and to sovereignly submit to the will of his Father and to meet his death. And so uh, we see Christ submitting to his Father. Well, the struggle in Gethsemane came to an end Uh, When Jesus goes back to his three disciples who he had to go with him, and we read in verse 41, he went to them and he said, It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, I want us to understand, as we look at our text today, and the, the text in the weeks ahead, These are very familiar things to us that we have read over and over and over and they have uh, you know we've heard many sermons but I want us to understand that Jesus willingly took all that our sin could heap upon him. That all these things that he is experiencing he did so because of our sin. And so uh, as I look at our text today I want us to see a couple of things. First of all I want us to see Jesus' sovereign submission in Judas' betrayal. We see here that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, but what did that look like? Well, he's, we see that submission in Judas' betrayal uh, in verses 43 through 45. Uh, Mark uh, tells this account, and he does so uh, in his own way, just as every other gospel writer does. If you read the gospels, you notice. Not every Gospel writer has the same details. They have different emphasis. They give us different details. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to sort of look at different Gospels to, to sort of fill in the blanks and stuff. But there's other times where we just need to see what is in this story because the Gospel writer is wanting to make a particular point uh, that he wants us to see. And, and one of the things that we need to notice is that Mark is not interested in the identity of the man who pulled out a sword and he cut off a man's ear. Uh, nor is, does Mark really care to tell us who the servant is whose ear was cut off. Now John, on the other hand, he tells us that the, the sword bearer was Peter and that Malchus was the servant who had his ear cut off. You see, Mark, though, skips over all those details because he really only wants to name a couple of people. The first person he wants to name is Judas because he wants us to notice him. And the second is Jesus. And what a greater contrast could there be than between these two, Jesus and Judas. Well, you see, it's Judas, one of the 12, it says in the text. And you might look at that and you might think, one of the 12, okay, yeah, I know he's a disciple. But but there's a reason he's emphasizing that he's one of the 12, because it shows his intimacy with Jesus. He shows his... He's he's one that's in that inner circle with Jesus. And yet, he's the one who betrays Christ, who has plotted and, and schemed with the Sanhedrin for 30 pieces of silver, and to hand Jesus over with a signal. And that signal was a kiss in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane by night. Now, kids, that may not make sense to you if you're a city kid, because you walk outside at night And there's street lights, and you can sort of see fairly well uh, who people are. And you know, you see them in a distance. You may not be able to tell, but as they get closer, you can tell. But if you go out in the country where it's not quite so bright, you know, and you see someone, you might even see a figure of someone, but you can't really tell who they are. You know, so you might be listening for their voice, or seeing the way they walk, or 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 what size they are, or things like that, to try to identify what they. Who they are well it was a lot like that where jesus was he was in this garden it was very very dark there there may have been moonlight where you could be see somewhat but it would be very easy to grab the wrong person and so judas says i got this plan i will go and i will give him a kiss now actually first of all judas comes up and he sees jesus and he says rabbi which was a great term of endearment. It was like saying, master, teacher, the one that I'm submitting my life to, uh, you know, is, is what he was saying. And then he gave Jesus a kiss. Now, the word used for kiss here is not the usual word phileo, but an intensive form of that word, kataphileo, okay, which in the Greek lexicon defines as to kiss fervently, to kiss affectionately according to one scholar by the name of cranfield he said it is the kind of kiss one gives to someone one loves now kids if i could uh, try to broach a very sensitive subject you know i just want you to know that there are people that want to take the bible and redefine it in the way that they think things ought to be seen rather than the way that god has revealed to us For us to understand it and there are some people who want to say oh well that means that Judas and Jesus had some kind of intimate relationship with each other okay and I think we have to understand kids that while in our culture it's very common for us to think of uh, women to be having other female friends just really good friends that they love and they talk to on the telephone and they visit with on the internet or wherever, and they build these very strong relationships. Men in our culture, kids, don't typically have super close friends. Friends that they just, they just absolutely love. But I will tell you this, that's very counter to the Bible. The Bible talks about very close male friendships, okay? Like, for example, David and Jonathan, who loved each other very much and stuff and yet there was no sense of sexual relationship or anything like that that some people want to impose upon the text that's here and so as as we think about Judas coming and giving this kiss this isn't like a romantic kind of kiss or he loves Jesus because he loves him like he wants him to be his spouse or anything like that it's just a, a friendship A very close and dear friendship. It might be like we do today as men where we come up and we just shake each other's hands. And if we love each other a lot, we might like just go into a big bear hug and just hug each other. You know, it's that kind of idea of expression. But what's so terrible about this kiss is that this was a kiss of great affection and yet Judas was using this to betray Jesus, to have him arrested. Um, So this sign of affection was used to betray someone close to him. This is where I think if you go back to the words of King David in Psalm 55 and verse 12, uh, he sort of describes the kind of uh, the depth of hurt that Christ could have felt in this betrayal. Let me read David's words as as David experienced something very similar. It says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's, It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from it. But it's you. A man. My equal. David says, My companion. My familiar friend we used to take sweet counsel together within God's house we walked in the throng and that's what Jesus experiences here is someone who was close to him who betrays him and so Judas's kiss showed how low a human heart can go how much it looked like something that was a, a faction that a, a gesture and yet it was a betrayal now you know, I want to ask us today, how can someone in Judas's position ever come to this? How could they come to that point in their life? Is it possible that you and I could ever be brought to this? Could we ever sell out our Lord for 30 pieces of silver to hand him over with kind words and a patronizing gesture? Could we be at that point? You know, I, I doubt that a year before this that judas would have ever thought that he would have betrayed jesus in this way now we don't know for certain the bible doesn't even address that topic so that's just uh, a guess on my part but i'm i'm guessing that when jesus was in galilee and judas was there with him and judas was following our lord and he was listening to him preach And he was watching him perform the miracles that were there. As a disciple, if you would have come to Judas in those times, and a year before this, and you would have said, you are going to betray your Lord to certain death. As a matter of fact, your name would forever be a byword for betrayal and disloyalty, for duplicity and treachery. That 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 you would be known as the betrayer, I think Judas would have been surprised, to say the least. And you might ask, you know, how could somebody come to that point in their life? You know, where, you know, whenever we think of Judas, we think of a negative we think of him in a negative way. So how could he come to that? And I would suggest to you that it comes oftentimes little by little. It sort of comes unperceived in our lives um, he followed Christ there's no question about that that he was one of the disciples but, but also Judas indulged in sin and you might say Pastor Rick where did you get that from? well in John chapter 12 verse 6 John gives us an explanatory note about Judas and this is what he says he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it and so here is Judas, if you can sort of read between the lines a little bit, you see that he did follow Jesus, but he also followed his sin. He, didn't, he wasn't careful to put to death that sin that was nagging him, that was tempting him. He just sort of indulged in both. He followed both Christ and sin. And eventually, what that turns into for all of us is a double life where those around us uh, have no idea about the secret sin in our life. We look good on the outside. We come on Sunday morning, and people are like, Hey, brother, how you doing? And everything looks wonderful. And yet there's sort of a duplicity that is going on in our soul. Now, Judas was a believer. Now, I think I just saw everybody's theological, uh, you know... (laughs) Gage go up into the red to say, what, Pastor Rick? Just hear what I'm saying, okay? He was a believer in outward terms. From a worldly point of view, from the point of view of the disciples, from the point of view of those who knew him, he was a believer. He was one of the twelve. He was one of the disciples. He was a professing child of God. He had obeyed the outward call of following Jesus Christ he had seemingly left all to follow christ he had tasted the heavenly gift as hebrews talks about he had shared in the holy spirit in the sense that he had seen the the spirit of god work in the midst of the disciples he had tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the world to come yes it is possible to be a christian in the world in the eyes of the world or even in the eyes of the church and still be a son of partition or a son of hell. You know, I, I think this reality is meant, brothers and sisters, to scare us. It's meant to scare us, in one sense. I think that if, if, we're, if you're sitting there thinking in your mind, well, what about the doctrine of eternal security? And you're, and you're trying to bring that in at this point in time to bring comfort here, then you're bringing it in too soon. Because as far as the disciples were concerned, Judas was one of them. Uh, He was a member of the visible church at that period of time. Now, the doctrine of eternal security is that the elect of God will persevere to the end. But it is possible to be a believer in the eyes of the church and to fall away. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that you can give an outward profession of faith to Christ. You can meet all the criteria of the elders, you could have given your testimony and the elders of the church of Kirk of the Plains could say yes, as far as we can discern this person is a believer. You can even pass the criteria of your own conscience. You can be totally convinced in your own mind that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and still be a son of partition, a son of hell. You see, this is meant to scare us in the sense that Paul says that we are to make your calling and your election sure. That's part of the Christian life. It's to constantly be looking at our lives to make your calling and election sure. To see that God is working in your heart and in your life. And, and, and it is amazing how God tests us. He never tempts us to sin, but he tests our faith to show us the strength of that faith and to show the genuineness of that faith and so this morning I, I just want to say to all of us don't be too quick to rest on your past experiences of grace you know it's funny if I'll, I'll say to people I'll say are you a Christian and, and it's amazing how many people say yeah I'm a Christian back when I was 10 years old I, and I was at camp I prayed this prayer or when I was in college you know so and so came and shared the gospel and, 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 and I prayed this prayer and gave my life to Jesus And I don't want to discount those things. Those things are great. But God's grace is so great that it's not just some experience in the past. It's a present reality. It's something that is happening in your life now. Because you could pray a prayer in the past, and it'd be fake, and there's absolutely nothing that's different in your life now. That is not Christianity. That's American revivalism, I guess. But... uh, We need to be very careful not to depend on rest on the past experience of grace. So my question for us this morning is this. Are you trusting with all your heart and your soul in Jesus Christ today? I'm not talking about just here on Sunday mornings and what it looks like externally. But what about the secret parts of your life? You know what I'm talking about. Those parts of your life that nobody else sees. Even if you're married, your spouse doesn't even see. You have those parts of your life where you could actually harbor sin and not even your spouse would know that. In those parts of your life, are you trusting with all your heart and soul in Jesus Christ today? Are you repenting of your sins daily? Not only uh, could we, I guess, relate to Judas in some way, but also to Jesus as well. You see, betrayal is a terrible thing, and especially when it comes with a kiss from a supposed friend uh, is especially horrible. Yet, I think that what's striking about our text today is that there was no rejection from Jesus of Judas. There was no, you disgust me, Judas. Judas, get away from me. There was none of that from Christ. Rather, it's interesting, if you look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew 26, verse 50, Jesus actually, after uh, Judas calls him rabbi and gives him a kiss, then Jesus said, friend, do what you came to do. And then right after that, then they came up and they grabbed Jesus and they seized him. You see, if, if Judas' kiss showed how low a human heart can go, Jesus' response was just the opposite, as if to show how high a heart can soar. Amen. You see, this is what a life that has been established in prayer and submission to the will of God can do. This, this betrayal was easily the most hurtful and awful of all betrayals in human history, but Jesus was not conquered by it. He was not taken captive by it. As a matter of fact, by calling Judas friend, he was still reaching out to him in some ways. Brothers and sisters, if Christ is your Lord, then he has sent his spirit to work in your heart to make you like him. And so we are called to do the same thing. Are you here today, and have you ever been betrayed? I know I've asked that question in in past sermons, but I want to ask you again today, have you ever been betrayed? And even so, have you been betrayed by a kiss? Not a literal kiss, but by a close friend. By someone that you trusted dearly, someone that you thought loved you, and yet they stabbed you in the back. If If you're married, and your spouse has betrayed you. There's, there's probably no betrayal that's greater than that, and the hurt can be magnificent. and And you can even be tempted. Any of us who have been betrayed can be tempted to feel like we are entitled to hatred. But but Jesus says we're not. Moreover. Christ's example teaches us that we are to arm ourselves in prayer and submission and that in doing so, we can even reach our offenders. I just look at the beauty of this and to see that in in betrayal, that God is so good that he doesn't allow us to hate because hate and bitterness, brothers and sisters, is a prison that keeps our soul captive. And he, he calls us here to forgive and, and to let that go that which protects our hearts and keeps it free in Jesus Christ but it also allows us to reach out to the person who has betrayed us to not only forgive them but hope that maybe God may work in their hearts to bring about repentance in Judas's case obviously that wasn't the situation he didn't repent and therefore he is in hell at this day so we see Jesus' sovereign submission in uh, Judas's betrayal, but we also see it in his arrest as well in verses 46 through 52. Now, the other Gospels, like I said, sort of give us some supplementary material. John gives us quite a bit, actually. And uh, after Judas had given this long, fervent kiss to Christ, then Jesus went out and, and saw the crowd, and he asked them, who do you want and they said jesus of nazareth and jesus said i am he now judas is there with him and when jesus says i am he they drew back and they fell to the ground kids could you imagine that here's this crowd coming and jesus says i am and they fell to the ground now why is that well you know uh jesus um well before i explain that let me just make one other clarification point in verse 43 it says that there was a crowd with Judas, but John sort of gives us a few more details about who this crowd was. This wasn't just a bunch of peasants from the village with torches and, you know, pitchforks and clubs and things like that. Uh, actually, in John 18 3, we read, so Judas having procured a band of soldiers. So we're talking about Roman soldiers that are, you know, filled out with all their weapons and stuff, and some and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, probably some from the temple guard, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So we're talking about uh, a well-equipped army that was coming to uh, arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, I am. Literally, he said, ego eimi. He said, I am, which is the, the name that God used when he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3. God says, I am who I am. And Jesus said that. And in his power, these people were knocked to the ground. Now, the message to the church and to the world, that in Jesus' sovereign submission and his arrest, he was still in charge. You hear that? He was still in charge. There is nothing that happened. And I know you know that, but but think about that christ is still in charge and and there for a few moments the crowd was taken off guard but they regained themselves and it says in verse 46 they laid hands on him and seized him and i thought it'd be interesting to see how they held him did they hold him (laughs) tight or were they thinking like oh man i don't know about this guy you know as they've seen that demonstration of power but while jesus is calm this is too much for peter uh, out came his sword i don't know if this is the first new testament concealed carry or what it was but yeah i don't know where the sword came from but this fisherman pulls out this sword and and he lunges at malchus the high priest's servant and he cuts off his ear now mark doesn't tell us this but kids just so you can sleep tonight uh jesus evidently must have reached down picked up that ear and the bible tells us that he healed his ear that he put his ear back on and so Malchus was okay, you know. It's sort of like the movies that say no animal was harmed in the filming of this movie, <laughs> you know, Malchus was fine. You know, but but it it it, it may have been a valiant gesture on Peter's part to do this to defend his Lord, but it was not long lived and it was definitely not condoned by Jesus. We see that in other gospels. And and even in Mark's gospel, we see that what Christ does is He responds to this act of aggression by the the soldiers, by the crowd, with peace. You see, Jesus pointed out to the armed forces that he wasn't mounting some political rebellion, but he was peacefully teaching in front of them all the time. Look at verses 48 and 49. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me? Excuse me, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me? Uh, the thing that I think about as I, as I read this text was, do you remember that account in, in, in the Gospels where it talked about the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, and how they were discussing Jesus, and, and they had great concerns. And one older, wiser man stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he said, Guys... You know, don't you remember the rebellion that happened years ago? This guy that was out in the desert, and he was killed. He was leading a rebellion, but he was killed, and it just stopped. You know, there was, didn't hear anything about it after that. But, if this man Jesus is sent from God, then you are are opposing God. And so he was just warning them to be careful. He was basically saying... Look, if this is a rebellion, he's going to get killed and, and it'll stop. So you guys don't need to worry. But if it's from God, that's what you ought to be concerned about, that you're not opposing God. And that's sort of the force that, that Judas, the religious leaders came with, was like this army, as if Jesus was leading a rebellion. And so Peter's response may have been the right intention as he saw this show of force, uh, but Jesus peacefully surrendered to this armed force. And frankly, I think Jesus' peaceful surrender brings out the injustice of the situation. Here is a man who is a peaceful man, and yet they sort of come with a strong show of force that's sort of overkill. It's like bringing a gun to a knife fight, right? It's just too much, and that's what's happening here. But it also puts Jesus' own preaching into practice where Jesus says, love your enemies. He just peacefully submits to them now Peter didn't see Jesus mission properly he didn't follow Jesus's lead he incorrectly addressed the injustice here and in the end Peter ends up being one of the disciples that took off and fled in verse 50 now one of the things that we need to understand about Christ's kingdom is that it's not of this world and so the ways he builds his kingdom the way that that God God's kingdom works in this world is, is heavenly. It's heavenly. It's not earthly. It's not according to the ways that, that we do things. If you are a person that follows your gut instinct and then you try to apply that to the kingdom of God, I will tell you this, you will displease God. You will. As much as you think you're doing good, you will displease God because your ways will be earthly ways. And that's not how God works. How often are we tempted in the church to accomplish God's purposes with human instruments? You know, how often in the church today do we read the Word of God and we think, you know, God wants us to go and to share the gospel. And so we take that thought and then we turn from the Word of God and we go about doing this the way we think is the correct way to do it. And that's what's happened with so many churches that are like, well, if you want to get people interested in church, you got to come up with the gimmicks. you got to do all these things. And you know what? You can actually build big churches that way. But you won't have many converts to Christ. And those people will eventually just leave because those were done in the strength of man. Instead, what God says is that we are to do things his way as he stated in his word and his time and he will accomplish those purposes through us we are nothing more than instruments brothers and sisters if we ever think that we are the the thing that actually makes something happen then we're going down the wrong path and like Peter you know we're pulling out our sword to try to fix something that God says that he wants to do a different way. And so we need to be careful. Well, you see in verse 50, it says that all forsook him and fled. And then Mark takes us to a specific detail and a specific person in verse 51. Mark draws our attention to a very mysterious young man. And we really don't know anything about this young man, except for what's told here. As a matter of fact, no other gospel mentions this account. Okay, so... All that we know right here in these two verses is all that we know, okay? Just keep that in mind, okay? so But you can imagine that there's been a lot of speculation about who this young man is, right? Because theologians like to do that, right? And there's been a lot of ink that's been spilled in trying to figure out who this guy is. And the best guess is, is that it was actually Mark himself that was the one that was this young man. Mark wasn't one of the official... 12 disciples but it was believed that he was a follower of jesus during his earthly ministry some even speculate that it was mark's house where they celebrated the the last supper and so as um, jesus and his disciples are leaving judas has gone off to betray jesus and the others went with jesus to cross the kidron valley into the garden of gethsemane that mark just in a rush grabbed a linen threw it over himself and he He ran after them. But brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, we don't know. And honestly, if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. And so we need to not get caught up in these details that we think are so important because it doesn't really matter who this young man is. Whoever he was, we do know that he tried to diligently follow Jesus, at least for a moment when the others were fleeing, but when push came to shove and he counted the cost and he decided against pursuing Jesus if it meant prison. You see, uh, if he could get arrested, he wasn't willing to go that far in following Christ. And, and as a matter of fact, once he realized that prison was a very real possibility and that they tried to seize him or to grab him, kids, then he did everything he could to escape even leaving his clothes behind and running away naked so that he could get away. You see, he wasn't willing to suffer for Christ. Now, why would Mark put this in his gospel? Well, I think the simplest answer and, and the clearest answer is to show that everyone forsook Jesus. He was alone. And you know why he was alone? Because no one could walk the road That Jesus was about to walk because there's no other person good enough to pay the price of our sin it couldn't be Peter and Jesus it couldn't be Jesus and John only Jesus on the way to the cross you see that's the one thing we need to realize brothers and sisters that sin causes isolation sin causes us to be alone whether we sin against other people it it fractures that relationship which then makes us alone or whether it's even worse and (coughs) more common our sin against God and there's isolation from him you see Christ has come to pay for our sin and so he had to walk alone because that's what our sin does on the one hand You have Jesus, who's innocent and righteous. He's not a sinner. He's not a transgressor. And yet, he's arrested like one. And on the other hand, you see everyone else in the passage who really are transgressors. I mean, this story is just sort of like a story of different groups of people who sin uh, to uh, a climax here in how they respond to Jesus. Whether that be Judas, whether that be Peter, whether that be the crowd, whether it be the young man. They all sinned against Jesus. And so how true it is, what we read in verse 41, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So why did Jesus respond the way he did? Why did he just willingly submit and go with these soldiers? Why didn't he, he fight the injustice like Peter did? Or why didn't he try to run like the young man? Well, the reason found in verse 49. In order that the scriptures might be fulfilled... Now, what scriptures was he talking about? Well, some commentators would say the entire Old Testament. And I I think that's a good answer, you know, because the Old Testament tells us, uh, it points to Christ. But I think there are specific passages, too, that could come to mind, like Isaiah 53, which talks about the Messiah as the suffering servant. And let me just read from Isaiah 53, 12. These words written about the Messiah said he was numbered with the transgressors. You see, Scripture promised that the Messiah would be counted amongst sinners, uh, treated like a criminal, even though he wasn't one. And of course, all of this was for uh, the purpose that God had. Uh, And we read that in Isaiah 53. Let me read the full verse. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Did you catch that? Jesus willingly took on injustice to save us. Isaiah says he willingly was treated like a criminal so that he could go to death, to bear the sins of many, to make intercession for transgressors like criminals and rebels and for breakers of God's law, for people like the ones in our passage who were were sinners, or for people like you and me who are sinners against God. Even people that we would think are good people, Jesus Christ died for, for sinners who need salvation, for us with debts to God that need to be paid. You see, Jesus bore the punishment of sin for many on the cross. And that's why he became like a transgressor here in our passage. That's why he submitted himself to the Father and allowed himself to be arrested. And that's why he went peacefully. Um, His reaction did highlight not only the very injustice that's going on here with the Roman soldiers coming and arresting him like a criminal when he was actually the only innocent person there. Not only that, but the uh, and, and an injustice that Peter saw and was willing to try to make right by fighting his way out. But Jesus saw another injustice. Christ saw the injustice of our hearts. The justice that was due for our sins. Because brothers and sisters, if... God gave us what we deserve then all of us would be in hell the day we die and God would be right to do that that's the thing because we deserve that but Jesus took up on himself our injustices against God and others so he was betrayed to take on our punishment so we could be free amen let's bow our heads this morning and as we bow our heads if you're here today and and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ at a minimum this passage should cause you to rejoice that your Lord and Savior would be betrayed you've been betrayed in your life at times and you know what that feels like But what he went through was enormously greater and so worship him just silently praise him for what he's done for you or maybe he's dealing with your heart in some area other area. If so, then respond appropriately. But if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe maybe the world thinks you're a Christian, maybe the church has even said you're a Christian. Maybe you even think that in your own mind, but as you listen today you realize that's not true. Then now's your time to get right with God. And I would encourage you to pray to him and to admit that you're a sinner against him and ask for his forgiveness to repent of your sin and ask for his forgiveness and then after the service come and talk with me but let's just take a few moments now let's just bow our heads and let's just spend some time with the lord before we go on in our worship Our Father. Once again, we've been reminded afresh of the love of our Savior. It reminds us of the words of that hymn: "Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorn thorns compose so rich a crown?" We thank you, Lord, for every glimpse and every revelation of the way in which Jesus gave Himself for us. Help us today to respond with gratitude, with thanksgiving with a heart that pours itself out in love to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.